I'd like us um, to consider this evening Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Wherefore remember, ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Paul here is describing the Gentile Ephesians before their conversion to Christ. And it's interesting that he uses Old Testament terminology to do so. He employs the technical terms circumcision and uncircumcision. And he does this in order to describe the great gulf between the sinner and God. Circumcision was the Old Testament sign of being in covenant with God. It's very important that as New Testament Christians we understand the significance of circumcision. It is the sign of being in covenant with God. Therefore, uncircumcision means those not in covenant with God. In other words, it is another term for non-believers who are banished from God's presence. We can quite legitimately today call non-Christians, unconverted people, the uncircumcision. That, that would be a legitimate term by which to describe them because they are not in covenant with God. These Ephesians, prior to coming to Christ, were estranged from God. They were far off from God. Where there is estrangement, there must be reconciliation. Or else there can be no communion and fellowship between man and God. All the non-believers all around us are not in communion with God. They are totally separated from God. Some people foolishly imagine that every human being is a child of God. Nothing could be further from the truth. All human society is divided up into two categories of people. The circumcision and the uncircumcision. Those in covenant with God and those not in covenant with God. Now, only the Lord Jesus Christ can provide the means of reconciliation 
between man and God. And he came into the world to do just that. So to understand the Christian message, there must be an understanding of the stark reality of the existing estrangement between the sinner and God. This estrangement is nothing less than an enmity and an alienation. That's how serious it is. Every non-believer is the enemy of God. Somebody might say, well, I don't know what to believe, I'm an agnostic. That person is the enemy of God. And so this estrangement, this separation, represents enmity and alienation. That is how serious unbelief really is. And Paul uses this word, uh, which you might think to be a very strange word, but he uses this word, uncircumcision, to describe the alienation and the enmity. Now he goes on in verse 12 to say about the Ephesians, before they were converted. But at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of province, promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is the status of every non-believer. They are the enemies of God. They are alienated from God. They are strangers from God's promises. They are not the beneficiaries of God's promises. They have no hope. Now, sadly, of course, many of them do not realise that they have no hope because they try and put their hope in man-made things. But God's word says that they have no hope and that they are without God. As we read at the end of verse 12 there, every non-Christian is without God. That's why we need to minister to non-Christians. And that is why freedom to preach is the most important freedom of all because so many millions of people are without God. So we must continually pray for freedom and opportunity to preach to as many people as possible because all those around us are without God. They are aliens in relation to God. They do not belong to his kingdom. Now, 
to the Old Testament Jew, uncircumcision meant being utterly unclean, outside of the sphere of God's presence. Circumcision, on the other hand, was the outward sign of being a true Israelite, the son of Abraham, one of God's own people. Uncircumcision, the condition of not being circumcised, signified the opposite, being outside of God's kingdom, not being a son of Abraham. Now, Paul is addressing Gentile Christians in Ephesus and its environment. Yet interestingly, he uses this Jewish technical term, which means that we Gentiles today must also get to grips with the Old Testament terminology and understand its true significance. What we must never do is say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, therefore I do not need to worry too much about what circumcision meant. Because the term circumcision and the term uncircumcision is being used in the New Testament here. Going back to verse 11, remember that ye were in time past Gentiles in the flesh. And that term in the flesh is important because it's another way of saying you were not born again. You were in the flesh. You were called to uncircumcision. So Paul exhorts these Ephesians to remember their former condition as non-Christians. And it's good for us to try and remember that, particularly if we've been Christians for many years. It's easy for it to become, as it were, second nature, and, and we begin to forget just how bad we were and in what a wretched condition we were before we were converted. These Ephesians need to remember that they were once outsiders from God's kingdom. And that this was clearly seen in their physical bodies, in their flesh, in that they did not have in their bodies the outward mark of being in covenant with God, namely circumcision. So remember your former uncircumcised state, says Paul in his first letter. Remember what a blessed rescue from that awful condition you have now experienced. Remember that you used to be called the uncircumcision, that you were formerly not the people of God, but you were utterly alienated from God and abiding under his wrath. As we have said, the Jews called all Gentiles by this term, the uncircumcision. It is a term which implied 
disgrace, impurity, separation from God. And we can say today, without any malice or unpleasantness, but we can say today that every non-Christian is in a disgraceful and shameful condition. And we need to impress upon the non-believer, the non-Christian, the shame and the disgrace of not believing. Not in any sense of superiority on our part, because we are in a better, better ourselves as we were in that condition once. I mean, and the only difference is God's grace. It's nothing to do with us. But to be a non-believer is shameful. It is disgusting. It is to be unclean. Sadly, you see, one of the real problems we have in our contemporary culture is that no one realises the shamefulness of their own belief. In fact, most people think that it's rather cool and sophisticated not to be a Christian. So, it is our task to impress upon them the shameful, unclean nature of not believing. Now, in Old Testament times, there was only one nation in all the earth which possessed the knowledge of God's truth. There was only one nation which was not separated from God. And God told this one nation to distinguish itself from the rest of men by means of circumcision. That was the distinguishing mark. This outward sign administered in their very persons. Circumcision was the badge, the certification that the Israelites were indeed the people of God. Now, this Old Testament physical rite and ceremony is full of spiritual significance for us today. Because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this terminology continues to be employed by Paul here in the New Testament. With the passing away of the necessity of keeping the Old Testament ceremonial laws, including the need to be circumcised, and with the revelation of God's truth to all nations and not just to Israel, we now tend to refer to non-believers not as the uncircumcision or the uncircumcised, uh, but rather we might refer to them as the unbaptized or more commonly the unconverted. But all these expressions mean essentially the same thing. 
uncircumcised, unbaptized, unconverted. The uncircumcised are those who are who have no mercy, who do not experience God's mercy. They are still wallowing in the pollution of their sin. They are still utterly separated from the presence of God. Our task is to impress upon the non-Christian just how serious their condition is. Paul is telling these Ephesian Christians, remember that you used to be uncircumcised. Remember how abject and how miserable your former condition really was until you came to Christ. Remember that ye were in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision. And Paul says in verse 12 that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We must impress upon people seriousness of their condition without Christ. And sadly, we live again in a culture which tends only to regard um, a lack of material provision as to be that which is urgent. Um, we, We don't underestimate the importance of material things, of course they are important. But even more important is a person's spiritual condition. Now we read in Luke 2.20 Luke chapter 2 and verse 20 concerning the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. They had just seen to the stable of Bethlehem as it was told unto them. And then we read this. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child His name was called Jesus. So the infant Jesus was circumcised when just over a week old. In fact, it was not until he was circumcised that he formally received the name Jesus which word actually means the Lord saves. So the Lord Jesus Christ himself was circumcised as a child. So we as New Testament Christians 
cannot ignore the significance of circumcision. The symbolism of it is the removal of man's corrupted fallen nature. A nature corrupted by sin. Sin being that which separates man from God. So circumcision is about the removal of corruption. A corruption which is related to any human being being born into this world. The question, of course, must be asked, why did the Lord Jesus, who did not inherit Adam's sinful nature, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, why did the Lord Jesus need to be circumcised? Well, when our Lord came into this world as a man, as that infant in the stable, the Old Testament ceremonial laws were still in force. And they would continue to be in force until the Lord's death and resurrection. Our Lord came perfectly to fulfil God's law. And so he totally submitted to it. Not only the moral law, Ten Commandments, and uh, those commandments, of course, the moral law stands for all time, but he not only submitted to the moral law, he submitted to the Old Testament ceremonial law, which was admittedly temporary. But it was enforced during the time of his earthly sojourn. So throughout his earthly life, our Lord would keep the Jewish feasts and ceremonies. He would go up to the temple three times a year, which was required of every adult male Jew. And of course, we find him going up to the temple as a child as well. For example, when he was twelve. So, on various occasions, we read of the Lord going up to Jerusalem for the Passover. This was to fulfil the law. This, then, is why the infant Jesus also underwent circumcision. In doing so, he was identifying with and actually representing the sinful man whom he had come to save. He came to bear their sin in his own person. So he underwent the ceremony which was required of sinful Israelites to undergo, if they were to have any fellowship with God. The ceremony denoting the removal of corruption, circumcision. Circumcision then teaches us 
Even God's chosen people, Israel, were sinful by nature. They were utterly estranged from God. They needed to be reconciled to God. Just being born a Jew did not automatically make one holy. And so circumcision was applied to the infant male at a very young age. As an outward sign that his inward corruption needed to be removed. That he needed to be given a new heart which delighted in holiness and in the service of God. Now, since the birth of our Lord Old Testament Israel has developed into the New Testament Church, which is made up of people of every tribe and tongue. Those from any nation today who repent of sin and trust in Christ become true Israelites, true Jews. In other words, they are those who are in covenant with God they are those who are the sons of Abraham. They are those who are reconciled to God. The believer is baptized. And so, believers become the New Testament equivalent of the circumcised Israelite in Old Testament times. So there is a distinct parallel between circumcision and faith in Christ. Conversely, all those today who refuse to come to Christ are the equivalent of the uncircumcised Gentiles in the Old Testament period. They are outside of God's kingdom. They are in a state of deadly separation from God. Our task is to make people realise just how serious their separation from God really is. Because they do not understand that. And so Paul reminds the Ephesians here in verse 12 when they were unconverted. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, without God in the world. Now that is a perfect description of the condition of every non-Christian in our own day. Not a stranger to God, he does not belong to the blessed community, which is spiritual Israel, the true church. Indeed, the non-Christian is nothing less than the enemy of God. He is a stranger to the promises of God, whereby forgiveness and eternal life are confirmed. The unbeliever is actually abiding under the everlasting wrath of God because of his sin 
and refusal to believe. Now this is the situation that the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to put right. He came to deal with man's corrupted, polluted, uncircumcised state. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, said Paul. And of course, was Paul writing these verses 11 and 12, stressing the enormous God between the non-Christian and God. He is emphasizing that every man without Christ is spiritually uncircumcised. And that means trouble. That means you are God's enemy. We read of the character of God in Habakkuk and verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. God cannot countenance sin at all. He cannot have anything to do with those who are uncleansed, those who are uncircumcised. They are separate from him. We hear so much nonsense today about God being inclusive of everyone, not judging anyone. That is a satanic lie. Those who are not cleansed by Christ are on the outside. The enemies of God. Separated from God. Because God is perfect in his holiness. In his perfect purity, he can have nothing to do with sin. Then, if we look at Psalm 5, Psalm 5, and verses 4 and 5, these are words that you will hardly ever hear quoted today. They are part of the Word of God. Psalm 5, verse 4. Thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight, thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. That is what God does in his perfectly holy character. We are told in the plainest possible terms how God regards unrepentant believers, unrepentant non-believers. He hates them with a pure and holy hatred. Now, when we hate, it's simple, but not when God hates. Now, God graciously reaches out in love to sinners, offering them his mercy. But until they receive his mercy, they are the objects 
of his holy anger. He looks upon them in their hard-hearted rebellion with a perfect, pure, holy and righteous hatred. That is what the Word of God says. So far from the Christian Gospel being about God's indulgent love to everybody, no matter what they are like, whether or not they have repented, the Bible actually tells us what God's true attitude to the man who refuses to repent really is. And again, this brings us back to what Paul is saying here in these two verses, 11 and 12, describing the state of the uncircumcised. Verse 12, without Christ, Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Let us remember then how horrible the condition of the non-Christian really is. And let us take care not to misrepresent the love of God in such a way that we give the impression that all are already basking in God's mercy, regardless of whether or not they have repented of their sin. To be without repentance from the heart is to be uncircumcised. It is to be God's enemy. Now let us consider such a man who was in this condition, this uncircumcised condition, the enemy of God, separate from God. Let's consider one who was in that position when Jesus himself was being circumcised as an infant. Herod the Great. What Herod basking in the benefits of God's unconditional love for him when he was trying to have the infant Jesus cruelly murdered. Of course he was not. He was the enemy of God. When he called Joseph and Mary to flee to Egypt, was he basking in God's love? Of course not. Herod was under the wrath of God. He was, in a very obvious manner, an uncircumcised one. One in a state of alienation from God. But it is not just the heroes of this world who are in that alienated condition. But everyone who has failed to repent of sin and submit to Christ is in the same condition as Herod was. Let us note here how Paul describes all the Ephesians before their conversion as being under God's wrath. They were all outside of the kingdom of God. 
So the problem of estrangement from God, separation from God, being spiritually uncircumcised, is a universal problem. It is the dire condition of all people without Jesus Christ today. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Where do we start in trying to explain the gospel to someone? Where's a good place to start? Well, Romans 3.23 is a very good place to start. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we begin to see just how serious failure to believe in Christ really is. It is not a condition of harmless neutrality. It is one of open rebellion against Almighty God. And so even the person who says, well, I just don't know what to believe on, just don't know. Even that person is in this condition of alienation and separation from God. Man is not by nature a child of God. He is by nature estranged from God. And it is for this reason that man so desperately needs to hear the message of reconciliation between the sinner and the Holy God. There is no more urgent message for our world today than this. Now we take very seriously all the other problems which we have at the moment, but there's nothing more serious than this. This message. It concerns everyone, no matter what their existing religion or whether they have no religion at all. All need to be made aware that they are estranged from God, that they are in a dreadful, uncircumcised condition. Without faith in Christ, there can be no hope of heaven, but only in a certain prospect of God's everlasting anger. All, therefore, need to be spiritually circumcised. All need to have their inward corruption taken away. And so we read in Jeremiah 4 and verse 4, Jeremiah 4, verse 4, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, lest my fury go forth like fire. You might think that's a strange way to describe the Christian gospel. A call to be circumcised to the Lord. But hopefully we can begin to understand now what is meant. Jeremiah 9, verse 26. All the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Now, those words, Jeremiah 9, 26, were addressed to those who were physically circumcised. But we are told that they were uncircumcised in heart. So circumcision is all about the heart. Israel had the outward sign but they were devoid of what it represents. They had uncircumcised hearts. In New Testament times, the outward ceremony of baptism 
signifies what circumcision was signified. Baptism, likewise, is about the heart. It signifies man's need to have his inward corruption washed away. Now, this is a really, really interesting verse when we consider this whole subject of circumcision. Colossians 2, verse 11. Colossians 2, verse 11. Paul is writing to baptise Christians. Baptise Christians. And what does he say? In Colossians 2, verse 11. In Christ ye were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands. So Paul there actually describes Christian conversion as circumcision. Not the circumcision made with hands, which verse 11 here speaks of, but a spiritual circumcision. To become a Christian is to be inwardly circumcised. And that is another way of saying you must be born again. Because to be born again is to be spiritually circumcised. It is to receive the Holy Spirit. It is to be inwardly transformed by Christ himself. A Christian is one whose estrangement from God has been radically dealt with by the receiving of a new heart. So it is Christ himself who inwardly baptizes us, who inwardly washes us, who inwardly removes from us the corruption of our heart. It is Christ who inwardly circumcises us. All have a deep problem within. All need radical heart surgery. All without exception need the circumcision which only Christ can accomplish. Jesus Christ is he who circumcises the heart. As New Testament Christians, we must understand circumcision. Christ alone can remove the alienation between man and God. And he will turn none away who come to him with truly humble and repentant hearts. But those who do not come to Christ for spiritual circumcision, they will remain strangers and aliens. They will remain as the enemies of God. They will remain being banished from God's presence, not only in this life, but forevermore. So hopefully, we can begin to see just how urgent it is for each person, each non-Christian, to be spiritually circumcised. Because if a man is not spiritually circumcised, 
He is the enemy of God and lost forevermore. Amen.